you don't have any client data on that whiteboard, do you? Um, I don't think so. I think that is, now nah, it's all internal stuff. All right, here we go. Happy Friday, everyone. Jake coming to you here with a very, uh, very special man. So this is Trey Taylor. I, uh, I met him at a mastermind group that we are both in recently, and I've been very impressed uh, on several levels with him. Just uh, his background, which we'll get into here in a second, but then uh, he, he's also just a very down-to-earth, awesome, really cool guy once you get to know him. And um, he just wrote a book called The CEO Only Does Three Things, which we're going to talk about that a little bit too, but um, why don't you introduce yourself, Trey? Just give us like a you know 30 seconds about your background. Yeah, Jake, thanks for having me on today, man. Uh, good to see you here. And I guess I'll see you in a couple of weeks as well back at our mastermind. Yeah, there you <laughs> um, go. Yeah, so I started, you know, my professional career. I came out of law school at the time of the first internet bubble. And uh, so I got a job at a company that eventually became WebMD and uh, was one of the first maybe 100 folks in that, uh, in that company and uh, did some really great, had opportunities to do really great things there. So we started WebMD Ventures with a billion dollars. We started uh, the WebMD Foundation with a billion dollars. We did the largest placement of debt in US financial history at that point. Um, uh, you know, and those b billions in that day, that was, a, <laughs> that was a big number. It's a day's pay for people today, but you know, back in the day, it was yeah. a really big deal. Um, so I did that and then uh, I left WebMD and uh, started a venture fund and a venture consulting group <laughs> and, um, and, and did really well in that business. We did 12 deals over about 16 months and all of those deals hit, which never happens. We were in the right place. We had the right investment thesis and it was really good. And then a pack of idiots decided to run airplanes into towers, 9-11. And so you know, all of our companies, they, they stayed through it. They made acquisitions or were acquired. Uh, so it was a good run, but <clears throat> there was no way you could raise a follow-on fund at that point. And so, um, so I had to go get a real job. So I got a job in-house at uh, Earthlink, which was a, a nationwide ISP at that point, headquartered in Atlanta, uh, and, and did corporate development work for them. Uh, the company was large, but couldn't really develop product. And so I had a ton of VC relationships. All of those VCs had investments in the company. So we just scoured the earth, trying to find good uh, technologies that we could repackage and introduce and resell. And so I spent some time doing that. And then I got headhunted into uh, AOL. They had done a ton of acquisitions and had about a billion dollars worth of uh, divestitures that they needed to do. So uh, they were super eager to get me on board. I was eager to join. And uh, literally, as I was waiting on the moving truck to come get my stuff in Atlanta, they had bought my house. That's how bad they wanted me to move to Virginia. Oh. Um, and uh, I got a call from my mom, who my mom and dad had been in Vegas for the week. And I knew that. And she said, uh, hey, your dad's in a hospital. It's not looking good. And I said, OK, keep me up to date. And she said, no, you don't understand. Like, you need to be on a plane. Oh, so, like, like, yeah. Yeah, I got on a plane and uh, we brought my dad home, but not the way we wanted to. And so I had this great career teed up. I mean, this was, you know, like a VP level position at a public company. I was at that stage in my life where that was a great job. And uh, so I had to put it on pause and come home and sort of, you know, run the family business and figure out what that was going to look like, always intending to go back and, and join that career again. 
but uh, that didn't happen. So I stayed home, uh, took over the family business, and I've, I've been the CEO of that business for about, um, say, 16 years now. And uh, we've grown that a lot uh, and expanded into some other businesses as well. So we have, uh, we have about eight operating companies in about three different uh, verticals. So people ask me, uh, our, our mutual friend, Mike Calhoun, asked me the other day, what qualifies you to write this book, right? And, and, the, and the answer is that I've lived life without that book. And that's why I wrote it, because I didn't want anybody to have to go through what I had to go through, figuring out what's the job of the CEO. Nice. My, my intro sounds almost exactly like that, but just a little bit shorter. So <laughs> totally kidding. Um, so that's great. So you said there's several things you said there that stuck out. I want to kind of just um, dig into a little bit. Um, you said you intended to return to that world, but you didn't. Can you like expound on that a little bit? Was that a, a yeah. you know, a mental thing, a spiritual thing, or that was a. So my dad had told me like, don't do what I do for a living. You know, he didn't love the fact that he could do a great job and then some political play could happen and he would lose an account and go back to zero. Right. It's a sales job. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't like the fact that no matter what you did last year, you started January the 1st at zero. Those kinds of things. And he said, you know, it's a typical second generation message to the third generation. Like, go become a professional, go to med school, go to law school, something of that nature. And um, I was I was, I was gifted academically and, and privileged to be where I was academically. And so law school really made sense to me. I hated it. I couldn't stand the idea of doing that for a living, which is why I jumped when I jumped uh, in-house for the types of corporate development, which is sort of, you know, business development expressed through the legal lens. And um, that's why I jumped to do that. So I always figured coming home, I would stabilize things. I had a brother in the business. The business was very successful. We had a management team, all that sort of thing. And I figured they would run things. I would just get it stabilized and then I would move on back to my career. But it Mm -hmm. didn't turn out that way. Like we didn't have a good succession plan at that point. Uh, And it sort of defaulted to me. I was the oldest sibling and, you know, I had education and experience that other people didn't have. And so it was like, why don't you do this job and we'll do what we know. And uh, so we did that for for 10 years. And then um, uh, we made some uh, family decisions that uh, my brother wanted to do something else. He had only ever worked in that business. So I bought him out about six years ago. So I'm a share, sole shareholder now. Yeah. Okay. So I'm hearing it's kind of um, like a, a lot of self-awareness. Was that all there from the beginning or that's kind of over time grown, you know? I don't know if everybody's wired like me, Jake, but I always think I know all the answers until I get into a situation where I don't know all the answers and then I have to learn them. So yeah, I thought I was a great CEO before I was ever a CEO, you know? And then especially being in my dad's chair and, you know, I always had this mental image. I felt like a kid just swinging his legs in his dad's chair, you know? And I Google, I I remember this, I Googled how to be a CEO because I didn't know. And, um, and, and the CEO, that's not a rare occurrence. I heard somebody at a conference last week say the same thing, but, you know, there's no job description for the CEO. There's a job description for everybody else, but how does the CEO know what to do and how does he know what he's supposed to do to be successful? How is he measured? You know, those kinds of things It's really hard to do. So that's kind of the work that I do in my consulting practice. Now I consult with lots of other CEOs. Um, many different industries, many different business sizes, 
that sort of thing. And, and a constant refrain has been, can you put this all in a book? That's where we ended up. But yeah, I didn't know what I didn't know until I got face to face with it and had to learn it. That's awesome. And so, and, and I'm hearing too, it's like, so you were in this position, um, not necessarily, well, almost kind of just following the family legacy. Like your dad told you to go to school, get a good job. Um, so I, I had somewhat of a similar experience myself. And I, I got to a point where I was about to turn 30 and I, and I was working for a Fortune 50 company. I was in management. I was doing really well, but I, I hated it. Like I hated going to work every day. And ours was not January 1st of every year it started over it was every month you know i had monthly quota so it was just a beating and um i like started to look you know there's a level above me there's two levels above there which i could get to in five or ten years and be making you know multiple six figures or whatever but i was like my life is gonna really suck like i'm I'm already stressed now like I, i don't want that and so that was part of me leaving and starting my own company um what would you say to like so 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 say somebody's in that position where, you know, they're working somewhere, everything kind of looks good on the outside, but they have this, these thoughts. Do you tell them to like, to pursue it or stay where safe? You know, how, how would you describe that? Yeah. I mean, I have to say, you know, I'm like Morpheus in the matrix, man. I want to unplug people from that world as, as much as I can, because so That's much great. of it is proving to ourselves that we can do the work and then we get caught up in these success metrics that other people give us, right? How many billable hours can you generate? Like, can you be in competition with a guy next to you to do more billable hours? Or, or can you do more deals or better deals or larger deals than the guy over there? My first deal that I did for Earthlink, I saved them $32 million four days after I arrived. I wow. didn't get my bonus that quarter because the company missed its goals, wow. right? And I had this internal belief that I couldn't do it on my own, that I couldn't find people to pay me. I wouldn't make enough money. It was risky to go month to month and those kinds of things. And um, um, it, it simply isn't true. If you, if you pursue your own career uh, where, where you're the CEO of your life with the same diligence that you put into being a, an employee for somebody else, uh, you not only will make it, you will far exceed your expectations. So if you're, you're in more control at that point, because re- realistically at the job, like you don't have any control over what's actually happening, you know? Absolutely. And the, the growth of technology, the absolute plethora of capital, and the number one reason that people don't quit jobs is health insurance. The ability to buy quality health insurance nowadays, it's overpriced. It's always going to be, but it's there. You know, you can acquire those three things and and make your own uh, recipe out of those three things. You can create a life uh, that you can do. Now, does that mean unplug tomorrow and have a Jerry Maguire moment? No, (laughs) No. go figure it out on the times that you're not, you know, working on somebody else's dime, go figure out what life should look like. Uh, I love people to start with some real estate. I love people to start with good quality life insurance, you know, those kinds of things like do those things well in advance of the time that you need them. But if you buy a couple of rental properties while you're a manager at an accounting firm and, you know, by the time you're a director, you know, those things should be producing enough. Your life insurance should have enough cash value. You should be able to self-fund for a year to two years to really give something a shot that you want to do for yourself. So let, so I love that. So self-fund. So my biggest, um, I won't call it a pet peeve. I, I find it very interesting of, you know, because clients come to us all the time, like, hey, I'm, I'm working this job and I've got this idea to start a company and it's 
I find myself having to not, not deflate them. Cause I would, I would never do that. Like I encourage everyone to go start a company, but I, I feel like people don't understand. Like I, I started this company like out of my apartment in the spare bedroom and I was broke for probably two years while it was building. Like, I feel like a lot of people have these visions of, you know, I'm making six figures over here. So I'm going to start this business. I'm going to get a loan from the SBA. And I'm going to have a big building and like 20 people. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. You have to build it. So yeah, like, what are you, what are your thoughts that. on that? Yeah, my, my thought is please don't do that, right? And you, you need your skin in the game. Own people money that actually need it. Like they'll loan your money back to you if you give it to them, but their banks don't fund startups and stuff like that these days, you know? No, that's exactly right. Banks are not in the business of risk capital. We don't want them in that business. Every time they get into that business, we get in trouble as a country and you know, with these new uh, stated income mortgage loans that seem to have come back from the dead, Oof. you know, maybe they are in the venture business now. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I had a conversation with an entrepreneur this morning and he wants me to put, you know, quarter of a million bucks in his company, raise an additional million five. And I asked him what he had in it and he didn't have a dime in the company. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, cool, I'll take all of the uh, equity. And then you yeah. can earn in over time, you know, and that's unfair to him, of course. And uh, so, yeah, it's a very different entrepreneurial proposition. That's awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit. Um, so I heard you say relationships, too. In your opinion, how are important are relationships in business? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I've always been taught that you don't have to know everything. You have to know where to look it up. And the last 10 years, I've learned you don't even have to do that. You just have to know who to ask. So you know, my uh, personal network is way better than Google could ever be. So if I have an accounting question, you better believe I'm going to call you and see if I can get you to answer it for free for me. Right. Um, there you go. And, and then, you know, if it gets, if it gets a big deal, we've got some friends uh, like our buddy Stan, who's an attorney, you know, you, you hire people, you pay for good advice, that sort of thing. And, and the job is as you mature is to grow that network, both, um, both high and wide, right? So expand the number of nodes on the network. The value of any network is determined by the number of connected nodes, but also the quality of those nodes. So I shouldn't still be doing business with the guy I was doing business with when I was in high school, you know, in, in my lawn mowing business, probably. Like my needs have grown, but have I replaced um, that capability with somebody capable of doing more for me and seeing broader than I can see myself. So huge believer in, uh, in network. One of my favorite books that nobody reads <laughs> is called Linked. It's one of the most fascinating studies of network science and how things actually happen in networks, uh, both personal and computer and that sort of thing. So I, I read that book once a year and find something new every year. That's great. So, so network. So let's talk about that a little bit. It's really interesting to me. Like I get, we do this show about once a month. I, I need to get more consistent with it, but we've had some pretty like high level people on here. And I always get questions like, how did you get that guy to, to, to do that? How did you get, how did you get him for an hour? And like, I asked him like for you, you know, yeah, yeah. just gave us your backgrounds, very high level individual, obviously. Like, I, I think I sent you an email on Tuesday. I was like, Hey, do you want to come on the show Friday? Like, absolutely. You know? So to me, it's really interesting how much you can get when you just ask people and from my perspective, most successful people, not all of them, um, are very open. They're very willing to help other people. They're, like they want to share kind of this. Uh, it's not really a secret, but it's like they they want to share this gift with everyone else. You know? 
Absolutely. I had two requests for this time this week, right? This hour. One was from you to talk about myself and one was from a, 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 a former client going through a problem that they've been going through for 10 years and they won't make the shift. Guess which appointment I kept. There you go. <laughs> the one that I get to talk about myself. People love talking about themselves. And um, you know, I love these networking events and that sort of thing. The easiest thing in the world to get in the event, get close to the bar and ask people about themselves, who they are, what they care about. Uh, yeah, that's a great way to, uh, to, to establish a network. And then again, call on it, right? Build it before you need it, but call on it frequently and, and make sure you give as much as you get. Absolutely. So I'm hearing kind of too, like a culture. I'm hearing this of, you didn't like the culture of corporate, you know, after you got out on your own. So do you, do you make it a point to build the culture in your organizations now? Yeah. And in my life as well. So, um, you know, culture is, it's a common agreement of some core values, literally the thing, the behaviors that we value the most in ourselves and others. And so uh, in the book, a CEO only does three things. The first thing a CEO does is culture, right? It's establishing the water in the fish tank that will make everybody that comes into that as little productive fish, uh, happy, productive, healthy, you know, in something that, uh, that grows the experience for everybody. Uh, that's what culture is. And so I spend a good third of my week in culture-related activities, very intentionally done, making sure that the culture and the people become so intertwined that it becomes hard to, to see the world uh, where they're separate. Nice. And so give me, give me an example of that. Is, is that, you know, asking an employee how they're feeling? Is that scooters in the break room? You know, what, what is that, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit deeper than that. So it's my belief that uh, people are created in three dimensions, an emotional dimension that we call the I feel and an intellectual that we call the I think. And most of us know those two, right? Why? Because they're conscious at some level. We are conscious of most of our emotions as they're going on. We're conscious of our thoughts, right? If I ask you to start visualizing the words that are coming out of my mouth, it's hard for you to stop visualizing the words coming out of my mouth, right? That's the intellectual processing of information. The third dimension is entirely unconscious. It's the dimension of being or identity. And what we try to do is to manage people uh, in our businesses at that third dimension, which we call the I am dimension. So who is it that you want to be in the world? It's a being dimension. So do we have scooters in the break room? We don't because I don't have someone who says, I want to be a professional scooterist or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. But I do have someone who wants to be a professional speaker, who wants to be known for what he's known for, that sort of thing. And so I work probably an hour and a half a week making those opportunities available to him. I send him information to digest and read. I ask him for presentations. I introduce him to people that, you know, put him on stage, those kinds of things. That's how I take care of, of people at that level. And let me just chime in. That's not his job in your organization, right? That has nothing to do with what he does for you to earn a paycheck, right? Not at all. No, he has a probably two full-time jobs with us. You know, I mean, he's a really <laughs> productive, and uh, really stellar human being. He's the kind of guy that you want to help when you meet him anyway, which makes him really good at sales, of course. And um, yeah, but he wants to do a little bit more outside of that. That's a vision that he has for himself. 
And a lot of employers, I think, get into this mindset that if I enable him to do that, he might leave. Well, guess what? He might leave anyway. Yeah. You know? So if I make a world where he can stay and do that, he may choose to do that. And if he if he leaves to pursue that, uh, I don't want that karma on me, except that, you know, I helped him do it. Not that I, you know, restrained him from doing something that is great for him. I love I love that because I feel like a lot of a lot of CEOs or business owners, they 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 almost get at this fear mentality of, you know, what if I teach them everything and they leave? And I'm always like, well, what if you don't teach them anything and they stay like that's that's worse, that's right. you know, and there's yeah. this um, I, I love that. So it's like getting to know what people are really interested in and having your company be a platform for them to be able to achieve their goals, essentially. Yeah. So I, I exactly envision my company as a self-actualization platform for people to come in. They have work to do. Work has to be done. Right. We have to pay the bills. We have to we have to fund our activities. Um, but we should fund those activities in a way that makes us who we were supposed to be when we were born. That's incredible that you said that. It's good. And even too, I think you said it to me too, like, Jake, are, are you sure you're an accountant? Like, is that, is that what you went to school for? All this kind of stuff is like, no, like I got in this business on accident. And because it, I saw it as a platform to get me what I really wanted, which was freedom in my, my personal life, you know? And so I, I learned the business and, you know, I don't know more than enough to be dangerous at this point, but it's, I, I feel like that's the, the a, a thing that I hear from people a lot is, you know, I love whatever it is. So they want to go do that to start a company. And like a, a lot of, very few people get ever get to that point, in my opinion, of like something you absolutely, you know, if you love surfing, to go and be a professional surfer and, and make a million dollars a year. Like that's the very, very top echelon of, of what it is. But I've always looked at owning my own business as not necessarily the thing that we were doing mattered so much. It's like, that's just the thing we do to, to make the money, to go have the fun in our free time. You know, you're kind of looking at it all wrong in my opinion. So does that make any sense? Completely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And you know, the thing about that guy who's on the surfboard is the top surfer in the world. The first time he got on a board, he wasn't that. He was terrible. Right? Yeah. But we always let this image of the perfect, you know, keep us away from doing things that might bring us joy. Uh, I have a friend who, who mentioned to me six weeks ago that uh, she wishes that she could do art and watercolors and things like that. There you well, go. Yeah. Four days later, she had an entire set of watercolors delivered from Amazon to her address so that she could begin painting birds or whatever it is that she wanted to do. Because you don't have to be good. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to start. Yeah. And that's, uh, that reminds me of, I, I had a conversation with a, with a client the other day and a similar thing. I think it was like a uh, custom frame shop, you know? And so, and, and she, she comes with questions of like, you know, how, how do I get an SBA loan to, so I can pay rent in my studio for six months? And, you know, what kind of insurance do I get? I'm like, no, 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 no. Like put, I'll answer those questions if you want to know, yeah. but put all that aside. How, like, what's the first way you can make money doing this as a business? And she's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, have you made any of these frames? She's like, yeah. Like, well, show me. Just, well, what do you mean? I was like, pick the computer up and walk around and show me the one. I was like, go post that on Etsy or on Facebook marketplace sell it for $20, like, and then just do that over and over until you make bigger ones. And then, then that will fund all this other stuff you're talking about, you know? And that's, like and that's a great point. Before the horse. Yeah. 
those things didn't exist 10 years ago, right? But we're still financing businesses in our minds the way we did in the, the early 20th century. Like I have to get a huge loan and then spend that down and I'm gradually converting that to revenue. And at some point I get to pay it back and then I get to own yeah. it. You don't have to do that stuff nowadays. Etsy is a great example uh, for, for people that are in that craft or maker space completely. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it does irk me sometimes when people come and say, I need you to give me $5 million for me to produce $5 million in revenue. I'm like, no, you don't. Doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Get something out and, and convince somebody that it's something they want to pay for. That's awesome, man. I, I could probably talk to you about this kind of stuff all day long, but uh, I know I know you're a very busy man. So tell us a little bit more about the book and uh, where we can get it and all that good stuff. You know? Yeah, absolutely. The book's uh, live on Amazon uh, now. We bestseller there, edging out some really good books like Traction and Profit First. That was a real delight for me when the book first came out. It was uh, that's awesome. Those guys, yeah, really happy about that. Um, you know, lots of uh, media exposure for it. I get, I'm getting good messages. Like a couple of weeks ago, I got a message from a CEO in Italy who said, thank you so much for this book. I didn't even know that I, that I was aggravating my team by doing the wrong job. So that was awesome. Uh, so yeah, it's on Amazon. A CEO only does three things, finding your focus in the C-suite. Uh, the publisher has recently come back and said, hey, the book is doing really well. So we're doing a marketing campaign for you. We want you to produce a workbook. And so we are in the process of producing the workbook to go along with the book now. And then um, uh, the audio book should be released in late Q3 as well. We start recording on that in a couple of weeks. So uh, as far as all of that goes, there it is. Uh, My consulting website, if anybody needs uh, some time with me, www.trinity-blue.com. Beautiful. And I was going to tell you for our listeners too. So if you're listening and you want a copy of Trey's book, we've ordered 10 of them. Um, and we're going to give them out to the first 10 people who reach out to us through Facebook Messenger. So plus, uh, oh, that's support awesome. you. thank you, Jake. Yeah, so support you a little bit there, Trey. Yeah, appreciate um, that. So a couple, I, I keep trying to wrap it up, but then you say something and I'm like, no, no, we got to talk about that a little bit more. So, so, so read a book, right? So one of my buddies asked me the other day, and this is a lifelong friend. I've known him for years and years and years. He says, and he lost his job, unfortunately. He's like, now let's start a business. He's like, what, what's the first thing? What, what, what's the first thing I should do? And I said, read this book. And he said, what? What? what, what how, what, how is that going to help me? I'm like, you need to get your mind right before you do anything. Like, I know you, I love you like a brother, you know, but you got some stuff up here you need to mentally prepare yourself for. So, like, how, in your opinion, like, how important is mindset if you want to go out on this journey? So I I don't want to be too new age or woo woo or whatever, but your mind is going to create the reality and and that's just science, right? So what you feel safe with is what your brain screens to be acceptable for you to perceive, period, right? So the more uh, abundance I can build into my mindset, the better the people in my life who are bringing me abundant opportunities. It's just that simple. Um, you know, uh, you, you see that play out in various different ways, but that's a, that's a big thing. So I'm a b- big believer in feeding the mindset. I read a hundred books a year and I've done that for 22 years now. And I don't read any, I don't pick a book up to, sometimes I do, but I don't pick up a book to say, how is this going to benefit me on a problem that I have on my desk right now? Right. I try to read as much sort of general, but interesting stuff. And it's amazing to me, as soon as I read one of those books, 
how much I see that book in the world anyway, how much it informs the things that I never would have thought it would have impacted at all. But then also I'll get in an Uber and a guy will be there from Nigeria and I can say, oh, I read a book about Nigeria and here's what I know about it. We have this fabulous conversation. You know, it's just being educated in the world is an important thing. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm a huge believer of it. In producing this book, I've been stunned, and I don't mean to be too judgmental on this, but I've been stunned by people saying, I don't read books, I'll wait for the audiobook. Yeah, that, that irks me when people say that. It, it, it kind of, like you said, not to be judgmental, but it's kind of like, hmm, it kind of puts them in a certain section in my mind, you know? Well, I mean, it's just this voluntary disability right? I could walk up the stairs, but I'm going to pretend that my leg doesn't work. So I'm not going to go upstairs. I don't follow that kind of thinking. Uh, hmm. And that just happens to be one of my, you know, one of my hot buttons, I guess, especially since I've given birth to the book, there's a lot of work into that. Uh, that's what <laughs> but if, if everybody who told me that was telling me the truth, I'll have a lot of audiobook sales here coming soon. There you go. Right. So it's funny you say that I am um, me and my mom joke about it. Actually, she's like, I never saw you do homework ever as a kid. And I was like, I didn't, I literally did the minimum amount. Like I would find this, you know, the piece in the book. I don't, I don't think, I think I literally between, you know, birth and when I graduated uh, my schooling, I think I literally read one book from front to back. And it was a Stephen King book. It wasn't even like a school book. Yeah. And I, so I say that to say like, I hated reading. I never did it. Then once I started to do it and I started reading mostly self-awareness, self-improvement, you know, outside the box type thinking books, I got absolutely fascinated with it. And it blew my mind because it's like, I, I hated doing this before when it was pointless in my mind, you know, learning social studies and these kind of things. I, I didn't understand the importance, but then once I realized it was going to benefit me personally, professionally, financially, emotionally, spiritually, it was like, I just, I, I can't get enough of it, you know? Yeah, I'm completely that way. I was a reader as a kid. I always loved it. I think it's one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids, you know, especially in the world of screen, screen, screen all day long. Uh, it's something really good. So we, we shut screens off at nine o'clock at our house and everybody has to read, you know, uh, before they go to bed, not has to, but, you know, that's the one activity that they can do or they can go to sleep. And so uh, my kids are reading, you know, relatively good stuff now. You know, I've, I've gotten them into some things that, um, that I, I like the fact that they're reading those things. That's awesome. Trey, I'm gonna let you go. Cause like I said, I know you're a busy man, but I appreciate it. I will see you soon. Uh, if anyone uh, wants to reach out, we got his contact info and then you can always reach out to us too. So thank you so much. My Thanks man. Jake. Good to be with you, All brother. Right. Talk to you.